Hello, and welcome to another Candid Conversation with Candace and Siobhan. Today, we are joined by award-winning writer and producer, Trey Anthony. Her new book, Black Girl in Love with Herself, has just been released by Hay House Publishing and is a guide to self-love, healing, and creating the life you truly deserve. In this episode, Trey opens up candidly about her life experiences, the power of manifestation, and making sure you're clear about what you want. Her final message to our listeners is to show up for yourself. Don't take yourself too seriously and absolutely do not give away the treadmill too soon because you're going to need it again. Welcome to Candid Conversations with Candace and Siobhan. We are dynamic women with different backgrounds, life experiences, and personal struggles. Yet the more we got to know each other, the more we realized that our similarities far outweighed our differences. Our goal is to bridge the gap between us and them. We are more alike than we are different. We are your go-to podcast for all things real, raw, and resilient. Each week, we have unscripted conversations with remarkable individuals who have truly decided to show up authentically in their own lives and are now inspiring others to do the same. Take a moment to listen, and not only will you see yourself in these stories, you'll leave with a takeaway from our guests and a reminder of the power of vulnerability and connection. All right. Welcome to another Candid Conversation um, with Chaos to Calm. I am Candace and beside me is Siobhan. And today we're joined by author, producer, actress, playwright, and probably much more, Trey Anthony. Um, We're so excited that you've decided to join us today all the way from um, Atlanta, right? Um, And this is the new book that was just released, Black Girl in Love with Herself by Trey Anthony. And that's what we're going to discuss today. So Trey, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Um, why don't we begin with you talking a little bit about the book that you've just released? Yes, well, it's called Black Girl in Love with Herself. Um, And people have asked, is it a self-help book? Is it a memoir book? Is it a a comedic book? And is it dramatic? It's all of those things, right? It really is, I would call it a lesson in my life, one of my most valuable and hardest lessons. And it's everything that I've learned along the way in my journey of self-healing, self-love. There's a lot of um, background information about my own family, me growing up. There's affirmations. There's my favorite song list, my songs that oh, yeah. help get back up off the bathroom floor. There's resources. And it's just a book for anybody who has gotten up one day and looked around and said, how the hell is this my life? And how did I make the choices that I made? And also, if you've ever found yourself on the bathroom floor with snot running down your nose, going, what the hell have I done? (laughs) Then this is your book. And so that's really what the whole entire book is about. So, but how did you make that decision to write a book? And then it's published by Hay House, which is a well-known self-help, new age kind of publishing company. How did that all begin? Well, funny enough, I had written an article um, probably about five or six years ago for Huffington Post called If I Was a Black Girl in Love with Myself. That was very popular, that went somewhat viral, like I call it viral, semi-viral, I don't know. But um, it was a piece that everybody kept saying, oh my God, where can I get this 
um, piece. I love it. And you should make it into a book. So when I first started thinking about an idea for a book, I've also been like a huge Hay House um, avid lover of everything Hay House, right? Um, my first book that I ever read from Hay House was You Can Heal Your Life yes. by Louise Hay. Yeah. And ever since then, I've, I, I gave that book out like it was my personal Bible. And so I always say to people, I feel like I manifested this book deal because I kept saying, I, I want to be on Hay House. I, yeah. I, you know, and I went to every Hay House workshop. That, that was the time when we were allowed to go out, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I went to every Hay House workshop, seminar. I listened to Hay House on the radio, everything. And I always said, if I ever do a book, I'm going to do it with Hay House. And so um, I ended up getting, I approached Hay House myself personally. Yeah. And yeah. when I approached Hay House, one of the things by going to all of these seminars and doing a lot of their work and uh, research and everything else, I often realized that I was usually maybe a handful of black women or women of color in the audience. And I found sometimes it was very hard for me to fully see myself in the work that they were producing. So one of the things when I approached them about doing the book, I said, you know, I think it's really important for you guys to recognize that there's a lot of women of color and black women, especially who are accessing Hay House. Yes. And yeah. we don't see ourselves amongst a Hay House audiences, authors, workshops, whatever. And so that's kind of how the book came about. But when I first approached Hay House, I was in a committed, what I thought was a committed um, relationship of five years. And I was, I had, I was always bragging to people that I manifested this great love. I wrote my Sierra prayer. I wrote my list and then in walked my amazing partner. So when I approached Hay House, I said, I want to write a book about how to have a wonderful and healthy relationship and how to manifest the love of your life. And they were like, yes. And I was like, yes, that's what I'm going to do. And then five months before my book was due, my whole world blew up in my face. Wow. And my partner walked out on me. My relationship was no longer. And I called the editor of Hay House, like was not dripping down my nose and in and, and just obvious anguish. And I said, I can't write this book. I'm going to feel like a fraud. Like, how can I write a book telling women how to manifest a wonderful and great relationship if I miss the tsunami hitting my own damn life, <laughs> right? So I said, I can't write it. And so we were kind of like, oh my God. And then I said, but what I can write <laughs> is a book on how did you miss the tsunami hitting your own damn life? And how do you get back off the bathroom floor when your whole life has blown up in your face? And so that is what Black Girl in Love became. And as my friends say, this is your Adele album. This is the Adele yeah. album of your life. This is 21. Yeah. So I think this is what it was. Yeah. That's so amazing that that's how it came about. Siobhan, sorry, what were you going to say? Well, I just have to say, and again, we've chatted just before we started recording that as somebody who is like the whitest Irish girl that will ever live, this book spoke to me on so many levels, like remove whatever title and just woman in love with herself. But my one of the biggest takeaways that I had from your book and something that I really appreciate you is the vulnerability that you show up in this book. You know, for you to be able to lay your ship bare and say, this is kind of what happened in this relationship that I was 
not expecting or when you were talking about how like I still hate my body and you know I'm trying to like love me and I say all these things but I don't always love the things that I see I was like yeah I hear you and there's so many moments but one thing that I love that you said was your mess will be your message yes. and I feel like that really spoke to me and I would love to know how how this mess you know how this message like what what is now the message from all of this that has come out for you the best, biggest message for this for me was I cannot give away my power. And especially I cannot give away loving myself to somebody else. And I think for many years, I've tried to find my own worth and value and love in somebody choosing and picking me. And the more I thought they were so out of my reach, the more I then gave them power to say, oh, please pick me. I, I'm so happy that you picked somebody like me. And I think a lot of us as women, we suffer from that, of thinking that someone's more worthy than us because of maybe how they look or the school they went to, their money, um, how their parents love them, you name it, right? That we just kind of think, oh, thank God you picked me. And so for me, that was the biggest message that I found in this book is that, and when I was writing it, I was like, what happened? Like, how did you lose yourself? And did you ever even find yourself to begin with, right? Because, you know, at first, um, if you had asked me two or three years ago, I would have been like, oh, I've done the work. I've done the inner work. I'm the it person. I'm writing a damn book on it that, you know, I know so much. And yet I realized, like I said in the book, it's always a continued journey, right? It's never over. And I told, I told my friend this, it reminds me of many years ago, um, I bought a treadmill and I lost about nearly 80 pounds, like 80 to 100 pounds. Oh. And after I lost the 80 to 100 pounds, I gave away my treadmill. <laughs> I gave it away. It's done. It's over. There. I was like, I'm done. I, you know, I've lost the weight. And to me, in my mind, I thought, well, you know, my body now knows this is where I need to be. And this is it. And then, of course, what happens is I ended up gaining back the weight and then and some. And that's what this reminds me of is even after you do the work, you cannot give away the treadmill, right? You yeah. still have to know that you have to get on it regularly to maintain where you are. But a lot of us kind of like, oh, we did it. And we give away the treadmill. And so that was my lesson is that I can no longer give away the treadmill, right? That is so true. So that was it. Yeah. <laughs> we have this, we have programs that we offer to the community and, and online. And, um, we talk about leveling up your life and actually I see yeah. level up all the time. It's even in your book. Um, yes. the thing is we have this, um, you know, example of an hourglass. And so the time, you know, you're healing, you're doing your thing, the time runs through. And then basically when it's gone through, you turn it over because there's the whole other deeper yes. layer to look at. So you're never yes. done. Right. And that's why I wanted mm -hmm. to ask you after all of this, um, you know, getting back on the treadmill and knowing not to give it away. What is something, if you don't mind sharing, that kind of still creeps up when you think, damn, I thought I just looked at you and here you are again. Up to this morning, I went to the bank and as I was in the bank, and I don't know if it's because I am PMSing, right? But a sad song came on the radio, which reminded me of my ex. And there I was like, nobody's ever gonna take me. 
I had to kind of go, wait a second. Like, no, 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 we are choosing ourselves and we are going to believe that the universe is going to bring somebody for you. But I think what the thing that I'm haunted with or the thing that I always still am working on is just because I'm single and just because I'm alone doesn't mean that I'm not worthy. Yeah. And I'm still working yeah. on that piece of like, please, somebody pick me, somebody please. And so every day I have to remind myself, hey, you're picking yourself, Trey, right? And and also talk to that little girl inside of me to be like, it's okay, it's okay. You are alone, but you're not lonely. There's other ways that you can show up and having a relationship doesn't mean that you have now more value. Right. 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 And so that is something that I work on daily, 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 that I can never stop doing the work. And I still, you know, no matter how much I want to write in books and everything, I still have those moments in my car. You know, of course, they're happening less frequently, but there are times where I'm just like, oh, my God, like I loved somebody. I really loved somebody. And I thought this was my person. And now they're gone. And what does that then mean about me that I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm able that someone's able to walk away without looking back? And it brings up every single abandonment issue, right? It's that little girl who was left behind from her mom when she was eight years old, and my mom went to Canada and left me behind. It's that little girl who, for me, it's that little girl who never got picked in sports because everybody knew that even as a black girl, I was no good at running, no good at basketball, no good at anything. So I was always chosen last, right? So if that's the little girl who shows up all of the time for me. So I have to remind myself, hey, it's okay. You know, we're picking you. You're yeah, picking yourself. Yeah. That resonates so deeply with both. I'm sure Siobhan, you're like, oh, I, that's me too. But I love that you mentioned the, the little girl. Because I don't know if people realize, um, I think we get so hard on ourselves when we act almost from an immature perspective where we, we snot cry and we're like, what the hell? It's yeah. that younger aspect of ourself, our pained part that pops up that needs to be seen. And I say to people, before when you were looking, like when, you're, when your mom left and she moved to Canada and you were still back home in England, then it's like being left behind. But now today, when, you, when that part of you shows up, you're all the mothering you're all the protection that that inner child of you needs and it's reassuring to say I got you so I love that you mentioned because I, I do that myself that you talk to her you know yeah. I love you I see you I've got you because when we look to other people to fill that because that's what's happening when you're sad about the relationship and it's bringing up all these things it's when you look to someone to say hold me hug me tell me I'm good enough and that's what we need to do for ourselves right now. Siobhan, it looks like you really want to say something too. Well, I'm just thinking like there's, again, so many things that you talk about. And one of the things, another thing I really appreciated from the book is how you said you found that softness and vulnerability in how you speak to your mm -hmm. son is now how you yeah. speak to yourself. And I'm wondering, because you mentioned in your book as well about mirror work. Yeah. And I'm wondering if you can maybe just elaborate a little bit on how maybe that communication and mirror work come into your life and and how you speak to yourself and, and how that then affects everything else for me especially um when i'm, I'm about to pms oh, yeah. <laughs> maybe too much tmi but I that. Yeah. It's when i'm mostly the most vulnerable and the most um sensitive and emotional and so i try and do mirror work a lot during that time and and i will look in the mirror and i will look myself in the eye and I will say, I love and accept you 
you are so loved, Trey. You are beautiful. You are wonderful. You are talented. I choose you. And sometimes people are like, ooh, this is a little too woo for me, right? But I also say to people when they come to me with that response, I say, okay, but how many times have you listened to that other voice that right. says, oh, you're right. fat, you're stupid. Oh, you, you, could do, you should have done better. Oh, no wonder you're such a loser. You're okay with listening to that voice, yeah. but you're not okay looking yourself in the mirror and saying, hey, you're wonderful, you're amazing, you're beautiful, you're talented, you are loved and accepted. So i rather be on the woohoo <laughs> than listening to that other voice right because i've listened to that other voice way too many times in my life so now i'm choosing another option so that's how it works for me and also too as you mentioned with my son i would never say to my son you're stupid you're you're not worthy you're not i am so kind and gentle to him you know like even when you know he's walking right now and learning to walk and and, and he sometimes stumbles and he sometimes falls or he's trying to pull off his socks and he can't do it and i'm always like okay baby you want to try again it's all right mommy loves you and we're like oh you're so beautiful right and i say things to him because i want him oh. to know that Right. And so I'm thinking if I can do that for him, why can I not do that for myself? Right. Because right. all of us are still that little child inside of us who's wanting to somebody to tell them something good. Exactly. I just wanted to. So when we were chatting before, we were talking about the title of the book, Black Girl in Love with Herself. And you mentioned um, about Hay House and how the book changed from what you initially thought it was going to be. I'm wondering how um, Hay House embraced your focus on the Black um, audience, Black female audience. Um, and did you feel at all you would, were, were taking a risk by making it so specific to, I mean, it is a book for everyone. Um, but I still think that I kind of admire, to me, it, it is a risk to make it so specific. And maybe that's just because of how I grew up feeling there wasn't enough for black people and black women. And so I'm curious about this. I, I kind of want to talk about that. Yeah, for sure. Um, for me, I think because everything, my whole career from the get go, when I started, um, from doing, I started my first production of when I produced called platform entertainment. And that was because I would go to comedy shows at um, Second City and I would not see myself reflected in any of the sketches. So I started a um, sketch comedy troupe and it was for children whose parents were immigrants and we were like the first generation of um, Canadians, right? And But we had um, immigrant parents and all of the jokes related to all of that kind of stuff of what it's like having Caribbean parents, right? Yeah. Then from there, I did the kink in my hair. Yeah. The kink in my hair was my response to white theater and never seeing myself on stage, right? And then I did how black mothers say I love you. That was my response yeah. to women. Um, yeah. The story of my grandmother, my mother who left behind children and, you know, went for a better life. And so I've always betted on telling my story from a very authentic and very specific place. And black women showing up for me in droves and knowing that I'm going to do justice by them, right? But in that, I always believe when you come from a place of authenticity and a level of truth, right? 
it will transcend race, it will transcend class, it will transcend gender, because people will find themselves in that, right, in your truth. And the biggest example I will always give of this, I remember when we did The Kink in My Hair at the Princess of Wales Theatre, and there was a monologue that we um, I had written, um, and it was about me, my personal experience of being the darkest one in my family and all my family being very light skin and my cousin being very light skin and being cherished. And it was about colorism. Mm -hmm. And it was about how my grandmother used to say to me, anything too black is never good, right? And in the monologue, um, the character Nia says to her mother, because she's been tired of always being compared to her sister Sandy, and she goes, mom, would you just look at me for once? Could you just look at me and see me? So that's the monologue. And I was, when, um, after the show, was doing a Q&A. And this blonde woman stood up in the audience and she said, Trey, and she said, oh my God, I love the play. And the monologue, Nia, that was my monologue. And so I looked at her and I was like, mm, I think you may be confused, right? Because that monologue is so specific about colorism, right? About a dark skinned woman saying her mother didn't love her enough because she was dark skinned. And she said, no, no, that was my monologue. And she goes, because I was always the fat sister and my sister was always the skinny one. And I never felt loved enough by my mother. And I always thought she wanted me to be something else. And that is when I realized for myself, yeah. people will find themselves in your truth. It never occurred to me that a blonde blue eyed woman would be sitting there watching the Nia monologue and going, that's my story. And that's when I knew that it doesn't matter if there's a black in the title or the kink in my, the kink in my hair or how black mothers say I love you. People will find themselves in your work if you come from a place of truth transparency and vulnerability and that's where i stand at all times i feel like and oh, yeah no. and well I and love. it's you <laughs> yeah and you show up with that vulnerability like i said but i'm actually interested because at one point you said in the book that you were able to have that level of vulnerability with your very close female white friends but within the black community you're like i couldn't have that vulnerability has that shifted at all for me, um, it was about, and, and I talk about that in the book, about being that strong Black woman mm -hmm. trope, right? And I said, it's something that I feel um, as Black women that is very specific and unique to our culture, right? Where, and I will not say all Black women, but I will say a lot of us come from mothers who do not trust that it is safe for them to break down or to cry or be vulnerable because a lot of our mothers are were in survival mode trying to get by. They're dealing with racism, they're dealing with sexism, they're dealing with classism. So they don't have time to break down and cry. And so in the book I talk about, I was raised by two women who were always like, you get up, we don't have time for this. Like crying, emotion, we ain't got time for this. Like, let's get it done, right? You're strong, don't let it break you. And so for me, I realized that I had also prescribed to that with amongst my friends, where I would send them affirming, um, affirmative messages of like, girl, you got this, or you know who you are. Yes, girl, don't let them kill you, right? And all of that kind of stuff. And I realized in my lowest moments that when I was down and out, 
there was an expect um, an expectation from my mom where my mom said, well, remember whose child you are. You can't let this break you. And I wanted to find a space where I could fall apart. And I realized I didn't trust that my black friends would allow me to do so because I had never allowed them to do so either. And so it was about creating safe spaces. And since I've written the book, I definitely have become much more vulnerable about asking for those spaces, creating them for other black women in my lives, and also recognizing that it's okay for me to break down. It's okay for me to say, I don't have all the answers. It's okay for me to say, I'm confused. It's okay for me to say, today I feel weak. It's okay for me to say, you know, I drove to McDonald's and ordered a Big Mac. And then after that, I drove to Burger King and I, <laughs> you know, it's okay. Because there are days like that that are gonna happen where before I would keep that a secret, right? And so, that is what I write about in the book and also realizing with my white friends, they had a different level of expectations for me. They were kind of like, of course you're going to cry. Of course you're going to be hurt. But I also think because that has been allowed in white women's communities much more so than black women's spaces. And so for if that is something that is nurtured and expected, you're going to give that. And that has not been the case in my community, mm -hmm. right? And I will say, and let me just preface this, because I know there's going to be somebody who's be like, oh, I cry in front of all my Black friends all the time. I'm just saying in my case, and I'm not speaking for the entire Black community, but I can definitely say that is the part of the book where most women have said, I truly understand that because I am tired of the Black women, Black woman strong trope as well. You know what, though, Trey, um, I think it's perfect that you put that out there, because when we think about generational trauma, yes, the trauma of black people goes back to slavery and oh, whether or not you can trace your slave ancestors, uh, yeah. it's there. And, um, you know, just thinking about indigenous people in North America and around because, you know, that generational trauma shows up again. It hasn't been that long. And the pain of what is in our DNA um, it, it shows up and that black women, black to be strong and to pick yourself up, dust yourself. That's what they've always had to do. And it shows up in black men in so many aspects. And I don't know if people realize that. And I don't live in an anger of, oh, this, cause I, you know, when you said in your book, things happen for a reason. Um, I too believe that. And I, and I find that difficult because I see myself as a black female. I experienced a lot of different circumstances um, based on my race. And yet I'm always like, still no, not back in the day, but what can I learn from that? Why did I choose in this lifetime to be a black female to these parents, having these siblings to have this partner. And, and that's how I choose to look at life because I can't change my color and I can't change people around me, but how can I grow and learn from the experiences that I'm facing, which are different from my children. Um, yes. And I don't know. I, I just, I just, I love the book. I love talking to you. I can't believe how much I see myself in you. And I, I haven't, and that's really like, it's really emotional for me. I promise I would not cry. I'm a super emotional person. Not just when I'm PMSing. You should cry. That's what oh, we're yeah, talking I about. I, I, but you know you what? You want to cry, girl, you cry, Candace. I know. I know. Like, <laughs> and then the snot comes out and all that. I, I've actually come such a long way with allowing myself to be vulnerable. And Siobhan, when you asked the question to Trey about 
has this change about being more vulnerable with black women. I think that maybe as you've gotten to be more authentic with yourself and more based on truth and who you are, that the tribe of people, the people that are going to be open and love you and cry with you, that's what you're drawing to you because that's what you're allowing yourself to see that they do exist, that they are there. And that's why this book was so important to me as a black female, never feeling black enough, definitely not being white because I definitely face being black. This book is so raw. So we talk about being raw, real and resilient. And that is what this book is all about. Oh yeah, that's because we are so vulnerable all the time. And I also love the fact that Siobhan, who's introduced herself as being the whitest Irish girl out there, um, it really doesn't matter. It's what your soul is connected to and it's about humans. And um, I love that so much. Siobhan, you've got a couple other great questions, so I don't want to monopolize. I'm just like in I awe. Do. I'm just so happy. I, this is this is off topic, but I kind of want to know, did you ever meet Oprah in a different oh, capacity? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to know that too. Because I, I kind of wanted to know, I know you met her in the bathroom, but. <laughs> no, I have never. It's funny. I um, got a job working for the OWN Network after that meeting. I'm just two years ago. And I swore, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to meet Oprah because I'm writing for one of her shows. And I was, I swore up and down that she was going to show up in the writing room. And she, every single day I would dress up and just, just in case she showed up and she didn't. And I don't know if it's because the writing room was in Atlanta and she was um, in LA or Chicago, but no, we got notes from her, but um, she never showed up. And so I've been manifesting and just visioning me on super soul sunday yes with black girl in love with herself so that is what i keep holding and i keep going okay this is why the universe made me mess up the first time i met her no you're the <laughs> next book, the book club i mean yes. you're the oh, next yeah. book club selection it's going to go across the world and when i reached out to you i said if i don't hear back from you i hope your words because no matter what i just wanted you to know that um that i just wanted you to this your message to get out to the world. And I think it will. And I think you should keep manifesting that because if she's crossed your path in the bathroom, it's about to happen in the boardroom where there's going to be great magic created. <laughs> Look, I love it. I hope so. I really do. I really, really do. So that that is what I keep manifesting. Like, Because I talk about manifesting in my book. And, and so I see exactly what I'm wearing. I see the questions. And talking about mirror work, Siobhan, sometimes I'm in the mirror and I'm having conversations with Oprah and I'm answering her questions <laughs> about Black Girl in Love. And so I see it. And so... Yes. I know I'm really a strong manifester, so I believe it's going to happen. Yeah. Can you just share no. that one part? Oh, sorry. I was just thinking about oh, no, manifesting, was... though, but about the Princess of Wales Theater. Because um, yeah. I found that really interesting how, you know, how you had seen that. And it was years before yeah. um, when you hadn't even written anything yet. Can you just share that aspect of how you can manifest stuff? Because I don't know if people believe in it. Oh, so true. I, I, I do believe in it. Me too. I, I'm a big believer in it. Um, so in the book, I write about manifesting and vision boards. And I share the story about years before I had even written a damn thing. I was walking um, past the Princess of Wales Theatre and the Lion King was playing. And I looked up at the marquee and I was with a friend of mine and I said, oh, one of these days, my play is going to be at the Princess of Wales Theatre. And my friend nearly burst into a laughter, right? It was kind of like, okay, okay, yeah, all right. You've never written a damn thing. You're doing some sketch comedy and now you think your play's gonna be at the Princess of Wales Theatre. And every single time I wrote, um, went by the Princess of Wales Theatre, I'd be like, 
that's where I'm going to be. That's where I'd be. And I would write and, and seven is my lucky number. And I would write in my journal, my play is going to be at the Princess of Wales Theatre. And so what, after I did the kink in my hair um, at the French Festival, and it then got picked up by Theatre Pass Marais, which is our regional theatre. And then we got the Mervish deal. Um, when I went to meet with Mervish, um, one of the producers said to me, oh, um, we really want to do the kink in my hair and it's amazing and we love it, but we're going to put it in the smaller theater, which is the Royal Alex. Uh-huh. And I was sitting there going, no, 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 <laughs> somebody got this wrong. And so I, with my boldness, I said, are you sure it's supposed to be at the Royal Alex and not at the Princess of Wales? And they basically looked at me like this black girl has really lost her damn mind, right? <laughs> Because they had never, at that point, even done a Canadian play at the Princess of Wales Theatre, much less my little play, right? So they were like, no, no, it's going to be at the Royal Alex. So I walked out of that meeting going, okay, you know what, um, Trey, just be grateful. But I still kept thinking something's wrong because I've been manifesting the P- Princess of Wales Theatre. And a month into rehearsals, the big production that was supposed to be in the Princess of Wales apparently negotiations broke down or something and then the theater was empty and they had to put something in there and so they called me and said hey (laughs) we're going to put the kink in the princess of wales theater and i just started laughing to myself and i said i knew this like i know the power of believing in something and so that's um, and that has happened to me several times the, the time i met oprah i was manifesting her too and this has happened to me so many times and i always say to people you believe in other things like you believe in like um when you say oh you know i just feel something bad's gonna happen right how many times have we said that mm-hmm. and then something bad happens right? <laughs> and so i don't see why you can't believe in the power of just believing that if you put your energy into something it's going to show up in your life. And so, um, yeah, that, that was my big manifestation story that I share with others all of the time of how I manifested that. And that was the same thing with the Hay House deal. I always said, I'm going to be a Hay House. Yeah. I said, I'm going to be a Hay House hog. And I, I didn't know how or what, but I was like, I'm going to be on Hay House one day. Did you also tell yourself you're going to be the first black woman in Canada to have her own television show? I did not manifest I know, it. I that I manifest. It's amazing. Because I, I, I couldn't, that was just so out there for yeah. me. You know, like it just, and I think because the kink happened in what just felt like such a whirlwind of things, it took me a while to catch up to it. And um, even when the TV show was happening, I still feel we were playing catch up, right? And as I write in the book, it wasn't the most joyful experience. And so I think I was talking about black women in survival. I was in survival mode at that time. So it didn't hit me until after, funny enough, when the show got canceled and I walked away many years later, I was like, oh my God, you're one of the first black women to have a TV show in Canada. But it never hit me as I was in it, you know? Wow. One thing I had pulled out of a quote from you, and and I love this because I mean you've already spoken about how this book is for everyone if you're authentic and you're living your truth, and you'd said my belief is that when you are very clear of your worth and what you offer your relationships, friends, society, you have less tolerance or no tolerance for others' unworthy treatment of you. 
You simply walk away without arguing, without anger, without questioning. You walk away knowing that it's a pity that they didn't realize what they had. And I remember going through that in your book, going, holy shit, there are so many people that should be taking a hike or the way that I've allowed myself to be treated by people that did not deserve to be in my life. And that was a huge kind of like, yeah, you know this, aha. I'm wondering how you were able to release some of those people in your own life. Because I know that, you know, you talk about having to set those healthy boundaries with your family and making, you know, concessions to sort of say, this doesn't serve me anymore. I'm wondering how you were able to do that in some of the relationships that were maybe closer to you or how you were able to give yourself that space. I think it comes down to a daily reminder for me now of, and it's it comes down to the simple thing of, you treat others how you want to be treated. And I know, you know, of course, I'm not perfect. And I'm sure if you ask any of my family and close friends, they will say, you know, she's she has her bad days as well. Right. But I know that I try to be really kind. I try and really show up for my friends. I try and be really loving. I try and be really supportive. I really try and be giving to the point of sometimes even in my, I would say in my love relationships too much of the emotional lifting is done by me. And I think I now have seen what a cost that has done to my emotional and physical well-being that I'm no longer available for that. I do not have it in me to give like that anymore. And I'm like, you've got to meet me in the middle. Yeah. Whereas before yeah. I'd be like, oh, that's okay. Oh, they're not really expressive with their emotion. That's okay. I, I can do that. I could talk for the two of us. No, you need to form a sentence, right? You need to be able to form a damn sentence. You need to be able to say when you're hurt. You need to be able to articulate certain things to me. And I want to be met where I am. Um, there's a meme I posted um, recently on Instagram, and I don't know who wrote it, but it said, Every time I have lowered my vibration to meet you where you are at, I have been the one who has been hurt by that. And I need you to meet me where I am. And that's where I believe now. Meet me where I am. I know where I'm at. And I'm not going to look. And it doesn't mean that I think I'm better or anything else, but I'm no longer going to lower myself. You kind of meet me emotionally, mentally, all kind of ways where I'm at. And before I would excuse it. And I'm like, no, it's too much work. I cannot be doing that work any longer with someone. They got to meet me where I'm at. I love that. Like, Shabana are both at the same space. And sometimes it's a little bit scary because. I feel like, first of all, I'm leaving up to the universe. I don't need to do anything. I don't need to go on match.com. I don't need to, even though if I did and that person showed up, that would be how it was meant to be. But I feel it's going to be random. I'm going to be taken unaware and I'm going to feel it. And, but what you said about vibration, because when you're in the lower vibration of it's not going to happen or it's not happening fast enough, or maybe I'm not, maybe I need to do this to myself who I am today. And I just started working out. I read that you, you know, when you do your, your show you on your posts about your runs, your walks and being physically yeah. healthy, I'm not changing myself to be better for someone to then be attracted to me. I'm awesome right now yeah. today, but I'm doing it for me. It will, it creates a ripple effect, right? Benefits my children. And it will just even raise that vibration higher. People need to realize that anyways, yeah. we could talk to you forever. We really appreciate the time you've given 
You've given lots of tidbits of advice, but I'm wondering, is there one last message that you want to leave our listeners with um, as a takeaway, either from the book or just in general? I would say the biggest takeaway I would say is you are enough and you need to show up in that way of knowing you are enough and to trust yourself and trust the universe. Like you said, um, Candace, around believing that someone will show up and love you in the way that you need to, but you also need to show up first (laughs) to love yourself in the way that you need to as well and continue that even when that person shows up right because you don't give away the treadmill right oh my goodness and um also don't take yourself too seriously and and laugh at yourself and laugh at your moments and you know i've written a whole damn book about self-help and i'm still reading (laughs) self-help so it's it's never over right and so i just say just laugh at the moments and enjoy your life and know that you are worthy that that is my biggest takeaway thank you so much so once again the book is by trey anthony black girl in love with herself um siobhan's got the audio version i got my phone audio um so i ordered mine off amazon but you can also get it through hay house can you order this off your website too or is it just off these yeah you can order it off my website and if you're in canada um you can also get it from a different book list which is a small independent bookstore which is great you can get it from chapters um amazon target if you're in the u.s barnes and noble so it's it's pretty much everywhere um which is amazing so you can get it and talking about the audiobook which people have said they have really loved i love it the audiobook has a bonus interview with my mom and my sister and people really love that interview and so i really um love the audio book as well so and especially if you want to get more inside uh, my family dynamic i think it's a really um fun thing right at the end of the book to have so are you going to write another book i think so i really i see another one in me i definitely see a part two you know and and people keep saying come on come on i'm like okay i'm gonna promote this one to death and you know i'm gonna be on super soul sunday with oprah yeah see what oprah wants from me and then oprah will say to me let's write the other Exactly. I love it. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. Again, thank you for being here. And and let me, yeah, let me again say this book is for everybody. I loved the audiobook. I absolutely loved it. it. I crushed it in two days. But everybody should read this book. It speaks to you, like you said, if you're in your truth and alignment, you will get a takeaway. And I also think it's a book you should read at different points. Because if I picked this up last year, the chapters that I went, holy shit, would be different than they hit me today. So I think it's a book you can pick up at different times in your life and you're gonna be like, I hear that now. I hear that where I didn't hear it before. So everybody go get this book. It's amazing. And thank you for being here with us. This is so great. Thank you. Thank you for having me, women. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right, thanks guys. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in each week for another Candid Conversation. And don't forget to like and subscribe. You'll find all the ways to connect with us on social media in the show notes. And we look forward to bringing you more amazing conversations with ordinary people leading extraordinary lives. See you next time.